Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brook, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Chrissy Davies, I am very, very excited to be interviewing you today because I, I kind of know you, but I don't really know you. So I think this is going to be um, just as much fun for me as it is for anyone that's listening. So what, let's start with who you are, what do you do and when, you know, what, what do you actually do now? What are your main things? What's your business? Oh, thanks, Jules. It's, social media is a bit funny like that, isn't it? We all follow each other and, you know, hear us talking online and all that sort of stuff. But do we really know each other? So it's going to be so great to share some of that today. So uh, as you said, Chrissy Davies, affectionately known as the Child Charmer. My oh, bus- the Child Charmer. Yeah, my right. business is called Chaos to Calm Consultancy. Uh, a child behaviour expert who specialises in sharing my knowledge and educating families and teachers about how to understand children's challenging behaviour. Oh, my goodness. With three boys of my own, I wish I'd known you a bit earlier, to be honest. <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny. Everybody I meet, like when I'm out at There's events that. and all that sort of stuff, and I tell people what I do, and they're like, oh, I need you in my life. I need you in my life. I'm like, yeah, you probably do. <laughs> all right. So why did you set it up? What was the, and now this, so I'm going to ask you in a minute about the whole journey, but I'm guessing either there was a light bulb moment or you saw a gap in the market or something. So what happened? Well, to be honest, so I was, I had a very long and successful career in special education, working predominantly with children who had severe behaviour issues. Lots of children had been exposed to high levels of trauma um, and many of them, by the time they came to me, Jules, they were so emotionally damaged and had been, you know, kicked out of so many schools and all all sorts of terrible things and families were grieving and it was a really... um, incredible job that I had and I absolutely loved it and I got to the point I never got to the point where I still didn't actually love teaching and I didn't love my job but I actually got to the point where I realized that I had I was working with the wrong part of the family I sort of got to the realization that I could actually help more children by educating their parents. You know what I mean? And so when you work in special education, the classrooms are really small and the communities, you know, the school, there was 48 kids in the whole school, tiny community. And I just thought, oh my goodness, I've got to go bigger. I need to get into more schools, more families. And my business was not really a light bulb moment. It was more of a slow burn and then a realization that this is what I needed to do. Right. I I love it. I wonder though, was there anything, and there, there might not have been, but was there sort of something that happened with a child at some stage and you just went, that's it. That is the absolute sign that I really need to go and do more of this. And what, what, what happened? You absolutely hit the nail on the head. And I've shared this story before, but I was working with a, um, a young man. He was about eight, quite really quite challenging lots of things going on with him in terms of his behavior and development. And I remember I'd had this day with him where he literally had wiped the floor with me. Like I had used every skill that I had and it had been a really, really tough day. And, you know, that kind of work that I was doing, that therapeutic work was really emotionally draining, Jules. You know, it was full on 
amazing and rewarding and life-changing for so many children and families but for the educators really really emotionally draining work and I remember coming out with this particular boy one day after school and sort of handing over to his dad and um, saying to him oh you know your son's had a really really challenging day today um these are the things X, Y, and Z. And I think, you know, he tried to hit me and I think actually he might've urinated on me on that day and it was full on. And I remember the dad saying, oh, come here, mate. Sounds like you've had a really hard day. Nothing to you. Nothing nothing to me. And in that instant, he had dismissed and undermined the six hours of my work, Jules, Yes. And I, re- and I actually remember saying to him, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And what did he say? What did he sort of say to his son? You know, and I actually turned to the dad and said, hang on a minute. And he said, oh, come here, give me a hug. And I went, whoa, 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 no, hang on a minute. I'm the one who needs the hug. Yeah. You know, and that, that was a very pivotal moment for me where I actually went away and I actually remember feeling quite upset and, you know, annoyed. I'm not surprised. Pissed off, frustrated that, you know, here I am, you know, I've spent six hours trying to teach your child about how to behave appropriately. And in one instant, because you're his father, you undermined and unraveled everything that I'd achieved. And I sort of, that was a real pivotal moment, I think, where I realised, you know what, I was working with the wrong team member, the wrong family member. Because if you work with the parents, then they can help their children as well, I guess. And you just give them the strategies for how to deal with it. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's not, it wasn't his fault. And it wasn't, you know, I sort of, once I moved through my, you know, um, (laughs) disappointment and frustration, all that sort of stuff, you know, but we used to joke in special ed too, that we, because we were so skilled and so highly trained, that we, we really wanted to have a school separate for the parents. So that the children could come to school, we could have educators who work with the kids, but then next door we had parents who we were training and educating as well, right? And so that's sort of how I guess the idea snowballed. And then honestly, I just could not have been prepared for the need in the community for what I had to offer. Oh yeah, huge. But I guess I'm really interested with the kids that you work with, um, biologically affected in a way that's affecting their behavior or is it do you think it's just the 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 back family background so therefore by working with the parents you could literally change you know the course of the child's life is is it or is there a mixture of both yeah I have a saying that I that I use with families Jules is it does to me it doesn't matter whether you have a child with a diagnosis or a child who's been exposed to trauma where we, 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 we constantly ask ourselves as parents, why, why, why do our children behave in a certain way? Why do they do these things? Why are they driving me crazy? You know, <laughs> we do and constantly it, ask yeah, that of ourselves. Totally. Like I'm huge on understanding the why, but if we've got the skills to understand the how to support that behavior and to sort of shift the behavior and respond in a really positive therapeutic way, then our children's behavior just starts to change. And so you know, a lot of the kids that I worked with had for a formal diagnosis for, of autism, oppositional defiant, um, OCD, you know, and then, then, then when, especially when I was in London, many of the kids that I'd been, um, were working with had been sexually abused, you know, they were right. living really below the poverty line, um, in a very low socioeconomic yes, area. Yes, it's confronting in, in England when you work with disadvantaged children oh. compared to Australia, isn't it? I have a fr- I lived in London for a long time, but I had a friend who was a special needs teacher over there 
there. And the, I mean, I, and she was Australian. I remember it was blowing her mind how protected in some ways we are here when we talk about disadvantage compared to those kids. Oh, I mean, I'm talking to these kids didn't know where their next meal was coming from, yeah. you know, and I, I did a lot of outreach work too where I would actually go out into the family homes and honestly, once some of that stuff you just can't unsee, Jules, and the the thought of knowing as an educator that that's where my students slept at night or that's the home that they lived in was really a barrier that you sort of had to push through and, and tell yourself, well, at least for six hours a day, they're getting love, they're getting connection, they're getting oh, positive right. engagement. But it was still heartbreaking putting them on the bus at the end of the day and sending, knowing that you were sending them home to that environment. Um, oh, Chrissy. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, thank God you do what you do. So now it's all about you. I want you to take <laughs> me back to what happened when you left school and how in heaven's name you've ended up where you are now. So, it's, yeah, it's so such... where, I mean, where did you even grow up? Are you from Melbourne? No, I'm a country girl. So I grew up in right. Mildura. Right. A big country town on the Murray River. Um, if anyone's ever been there, you know, I tell people I'm from Mildura. Beautiful. Yeah, oh, and they say, oh, it's so beautiful, but it wasn't as a teenager. It was a hell of <laughs> Well, the river's trust beautiful. Me. I don't know, yeah, I don't know whether living there would have been as much fun, but the river's gorgeous. Six hours away from Melbourne, four hours from Adelaide. You know, you're basically living in the middle of the desert. Um, but, right. you know, I joke, my hubby's from the country as well, and I truly believe that country people have incredible values. And there's something about, I think, people who grew up in the country that are different to people who have spent their whole life in the city, you know. Um, oh, absolutely. I always knew that I was n- never meant to live in Mildura all my life. You know, I've got friends that are still live there, you know, have never left. My brother's never left, one of my brothers. And I always knew that I was destined for bigger things. But right. ironically, the truth is I grew up in a family that experienced family trauma. Um, you know, right. I had quite a traumatic childhood. My father was an alcoholic and he suffered a mental illness and oh wow sort of you know ironic really isn't it that I ended up working with children well is it ironic or is it actually probably because of that that you've ended up maybe absolutely maybe but you know in in looking back now Jules like you said before when I worked with some of these um, beautiful kids in London it was actually a real almost like a healing for me thinking, well, you know what? I always had a warm bed. I had three hot meals a day. You know, I always had clothes, you know? Yeah. My dad was very, very, a very angry and aggressive and unpredictable man, but my mum, we had a lot of love. Do you know what I mean? And so in yeah. a sense, it, it did really give me a bit of clarity about, yes, I did lose out on a lot of things in terms of a relationship with my own father, but my life in comparison to what some children are exposed to every single day was not that bad. You know, and and I think the clincher that you put in there as well is you did have love, yes. and I think a child being brought up with no love, you just can't even begin to imagine mm. how mm. damaging that would be. Mm. So so you're so did you go all the way through school? So because I, I guess there was a lot going on at home, yep. I was I was a really big troublemaker. I was in <laughs> trouble so much in high school, in particular. Right. I used to get suspended. I used oh my to goodness, like really naughty. Swear at teachers and 
But do you think um, that just do you think that's just teenage hormones and the trauma at home and the ridiculous boundaries that schools seem when you're at that age anyway? Oh, look, I mean, we're talking. You know, everyone? I graduated in 1991, so it was a fair while ago. But it is it is actually really a big core of you know the work that I do now too is because I I never had one teacher actually say to me, Chrissy, are you okay? Like, is everything okay at home? Everybody just branded me as a troublemaker and a loudmouth and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Oh, and right. Nobody ever really took the time to look past my behaviour, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise. And, and yet all through that time um, you're misbehaving and nobody is even, you know, considering maybe let's join the dots. No. Wow. And I think because I was, you know, I was intelligent, I was confident, I was, you know, I seemingly had it all together and, you know, we, we talk about family secrets and at the end of the day we all went home, we had this horrendous secret that we were hiding about, you know, the abuse that my father was delivering in our home, you know. So it was, I think I hid it very, very well. Um, and this is why I talk to families about we have to see the child, not the behaviour. We've got to connect with what's actually going on underneath. Yeah. Um, and so I fluffed and we, around. We, um, I fa- sorry? We, did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, two brothers. So I'm in the middle. Okay. Oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> And so, thank goodness you did have brothers, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. I sort of fluffed around. I actually failed year 12 twice, Jules, because... <laughs> I'm so impressed you did it twice. I, most people would have walked away after failing and gone, right, so it's not meant for me. So, I mean, amazing that you did it twice. I mean, crazy. I don't know why. Second year was just as big a waste of time as the well, first time. Well, you would have known but... so much by the end of the second time. Yeah, and you'll love this story. And so I sort of fluffed around. I lost my way for a few years. I moved up to Cairns for a while, worked in bars and pubs and drank a lot and, you know, all that sort of stuff as you do as a 19, 20-year-old. And I think I was about 21 when I actually moved back to Mildura and I um, entered into a new relationship and I was on the dole. And, right. um, or the, what, what did they call it then? Was it, it wasn't job seeker then. It was, I think it was, there was a work for the Dole program. And if you'd been unemployed for a certain amount of time, they, um, they, you had to be, had to go out and do like work experience basically right, to earn your money. And I got sent to Mildura South Primary School. And I got put in the library with a beautiful lady named Bernadette Wells. I will never forget her. And she changed my life. She saw something in me. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Oh, (laughs) I know. She saw something in me that was always there, but that had never really been tapped into, I think. And anyway, so I got sent to work with her in the library, in the primary school and tidy the library and all that sort of stuff. And she was like, you're better than this. And so she approached a couple of the teachers and she had me running groups. And before you knew it, I was running little sessions and all this sort of stuff. And then one day, so I had to work there for a year. And I think towards the end of that placement coming, um, I walked into the little office that I shared with her and there was an envelope waiting there on the desk for me. And she had printed out an application form to study teaching at La Trobe University. Oh, my God. I love her too. She is oh, amazing. I know. I know. I love right? that. I love that. So you, you thought, wow, someone believes in me and knows I'm good at something. Yeah. Uh, so I, get, totally. I hope that you went off and did that course. I did. Totally. Good. Blitzed it. Absolutely blitzed it. 
So I did that. For, I did my first year in Mildura. I broke up with my boyfriend who didn't want to leave Mildura. I was like, dude, I'm out of here. Moved to Bendigo, you know, created a whole new life for myself. I worked for a couple of years um, at a beautiful little rural school with 48 kids um, oh, where I met another incredible man named Jerry Cop, who was the principal who I truly believe now was the first positive male role model that I'd ever had in my life. And... Yeah, he was just, you know, you talk about people who've inspired you. He was somebody who truly inspired me. And then the rest is history. Packed my bags, moved well, to Hang London. on, why? Why did he <laughs> inspire you? I, w- I want to hear a little bit more about this great man. Oh, Jerry, where do I start? Well, for one, what, he's what Dutch did he do like that... me. He what? He's Dutch. Right. So I've got a Dutch background as well. My mum was born in Amsterdam and um, he used to have this beautiful saying, Chrissy, you ain't much if you ain't Dutch. And we, we just had this incredible connection as almost like he was a role model to me as well, obviously, as my senior and my um, um, principal. I respected him. But he was the first person who actually taught me as an educator that, yes, the letters and the numbers and all that sort of stuff obviously is incredibly important. But if you cannot build trust and connection and a relationship with children, they will not learn from you. Oh, my God. That is just so true. And that is, absolutely. you know, we all, I mean, certainly as a parent and as a student, know those teachers that you know love you and have your back and you will. I mean, I ended up doing physics for year 12, because, which I'm shit at. I can't begin to tell you how bad. I passed it, but it was just the teacher. He was so great. I loved him and his passion for it. And I think, and I see it with my kids, the ones where the teachers don't have any time for them. You know, they just will not learn. And the ones where even if it's a subject that's not great for them, if the teacher's great and and the relationship is there, they will love it and they'll do it. And, you know, I've, I've mentored a lot of graduate teachers too, Jules, in, you know, throughout my career. And, you know, you do not go into teaching. Well, you go in because you believe in education, but you most people go into teaching because they actually love kids. Yeah. Like they really enjoy spending time with children. They love seeing them learn. And they love building those relationships with kids and families. You know, all the other stuff, the, you know, the meetings and the bureaucracy and all that sort of stuff. Teachers can't stand any of that stuff. That we just constantly let us get back to doing what we love, connecting with yes. children. You know, yeah, and so beautiful. this beautiful man, Jerry, was um, an incredible, a pivotal person that I met very early on in my career, which sort of really set me up with a really good understanding about how to be a great teacher. Fantastic. I remember him crying when I said to him I was leaving the school, but he's like, I'm so happy for you. He said, but, you know, and we're still great mates. He was at our wedding, you know, I actually got an email from him the other day and we're we're really, really good mates, um, which I'm so grateful for. And so then I packed my bags. I think I had $2,000 in the bank. It's like, right, I'm out of here. I moved to London. I knew one other person. So why did you go to London? Uh, well, I always knew I wanted to travel and I always wanted to see the world. And, you know, most teachers would know that that to, to, to live and travel over in the UK is just the best way to be able to experience that, um, you know, have a great job. So it's a thing in teacher land, is it? Any anywhere that people love the idea of going to London. It's a career move. Absolutely. And I think because, you know, we, we're so far for us and so expensive for us to go anywhere, 
overseas when you're living there i remember over there you know we would go to italy for the weekend or we'd catch yeah. the train to paris for the weekend you know and That's it's just like right. oh my god what is this life it's amazing i don't know people don't understand do they till they've lived there and, and i feel the same way just or wherever you live in europe because most of my family is in ireland but it's all i mean when when i was in london i'll never forget when i first got there somebody had an ad and it was like for a last minute flight to Istanbul, seven nights, flights and accommodation, £99. And I remember going, hang on, because in Australia, all our flights are all the other way around. And, you know, the la- the later you leave it, the more last minute it is, the more expensive. But anyway, so you loved your time in London? Absolutely. So, th- and this is, this is another really beautiful part of my getting to where I am now. So I was trained in special education And when I did my placements in Australia, I was sent to a lot of schools with children who had physical disabilities. So spina bifida, you know, um, Down syndrome, lots of kids in wheelchairs and all that sort of stuff. And by the end of that placement, I decided that work was not for me. And I really admire, obviously, people who work with these kids because it is a really specialised area. And so when I got to the UK, I fluffed around a bit, worked in a few wine bars, you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) For two pounds an hour. As you do. And then... (laughs) I ended up doing some agency work and the agency called me and said, oh, we've got this, we've got four days at a special needs school um, in London Bridge. We'd really love to send you. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't know. Special needs is not for me. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. No, I don't really want to do it. And they said, okay, look, how about you just go for the first day and if you don't like it, then you don't have to go back. I said, all right, you know, what have I got to lose? That's, you, that's could almost, you can almost imagine that placement company go, please just give us a day to find someone else. <laughs> so it sounds like they had found it difficult to fill that. So tell us a bit. So you turn up on the first day and so what's it like? This was, so I was sent to the school. The school's called Beerman School. Um, I turned up for one day and four years later I was still there. <laughs> they offered me I a job on the spot pretty much. Yeah. Um, Sharon Gray was the head teacher there who has now, she's now won an order of um, the the Queen's Medal. What is British it called? British Empire. OBE? Yeah, the OBE. Like, she's just phenomenal. She's Amazing. an absolutely incredible woman. And, oh, my God, did she teach me so much. And this school was so different to any school that I'd ever worked in because it was centred around children's social and emotional development. Wow. Yeah. So it was all about upskilling children, you know, tapping into their emotions, teaching them about their behavior. It was based on a very therapeutic approach. There was a music therapist, an art therapist, a play therapist. You know, it was just incredible, Jules. And it was my calling. It was, you know, who I was meant to be. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I worked there for four years. And then, you know, as all good things come to an end, you got to grow up. Not necessarily. Oh yeah, did you come totally. back home or? Well, I sort of, you know, my wave sort of came towards the end of London. A lot of people were leaving, and you, you know what it's like. You've lived there; yep. it sort of ebbs and flows. And and anyway, I came back to Australia, and I looked everywhere for an an EBD school, which is an emotional behavioural difficulties school in Australia, and there were just none. I couldn't find any in Melbourne. I knew that I wanted to work there, but I couldn't find any. So I ended up taking another job in a mainstream school for a couple of years. And then um, one day I was just Googling, you know, jobs, blah, blah, blah. And then a job just jumped out at me on JobKeeper, I think it was. And it was for another school called the Currajong School, which is in East Malvern, which was basically 
the same model as Beermond. And ironically, right. once I got to know the principal, um, she told me that she'd actually travelled over to England, met Sharon, did a sabbatical, went over there and spent time at the school. And ba- it was all, they were almost like parallel universes. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps oh, again. I know. All these kind of I know. These things Amazing. that are all just meant to be. Yeah, yeah. So I got the job there and I worked there for three years. Um, and in that process, in that meantime, you know, met, married my hubby, yada, yada, all that sort of stuff and stayed there until I was trying to get pregnant. Right. Um, and I ended up going down the IVF roller coaster. We had a long um, and challenging road to forming our family and the work was so stressful and so emotional that we made the decision that I would take a year off to just... That sounds like a very good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how did you go? Because you have got a son or a daughter, haven't you? I actually have two children who we Woo-hoo. adopted. Yeah. Beautiful. I love, I'm like, my, um, in my family, we've got a couple of adopted girls um, who we absolutely love to death and we've, we've, we celebrate them all the time. They're Irish. My, my mum's sister wasn't able to have kids. And, um, you know, I absolutely love the whole, everything around adoption. Mm, so, mm. And, so, And ironically too, Jules, you know, because I knew so much about the foster care system and permanent care and um, had worked with so many kids who we had actually sadly had to remove from families because of, the, you know, the trauma they were being exposed to, I had a really good understanding around the system and all that sort of stuff. And so when I met, when our adoption agency met me, I think they were just like, oh, my goodness where has this woman come from you know so we always a very hard process because anecdotally we hear that adopting in Australia is really hard and I mean I guess you hear huge um Deborah Finesse often talk about why people aren't adopting more so was it a very long and difficult process or did you they take one look at you and go oh my god we love this woman give her a child now oh it's so funny (laughs) isn't it because we you get to know your caseworker really well obviously over the period and it's quite intense there's a lot of interviews and you have to write a lot of paperwork and all that sort of stuff and they they want to get to know you on a really deeply personal level you know um I remember her Terry her name was my caseworker she was our caseworker for both of our kids and she said, you know, Chrissy, I don't tell everybody this. She goes, but we know the people who come to the training. We just, we've, we've been doing this for so long. And she said, and after we met you, me and my managers, we all looked at each other and were like, yeah, she's going to make it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just incredible, isn't it? Um, and, and the process is not easy and it's not for the faint hearted. And I still truly believe that a lot of our work is yet to come with our children in terms of them understanding their identity and, you know, their birth family. Well, how old are they? Um, so Annabelle's seven and a half now. And oh, Littlies. Seth is five. Yeah. Sorry, when I say Littlies, it's only because mine are now 14 and 19. But I remember that age group well, right? So you're right in the thick of it. Yeah, yep. Still and, in the and grind. And have you been really open with them about the adoption? Oh, from yeah, absolutely. Day one? So all yeah. adoptions in Australia now are considered open, which Good. means that we have contact with their birth family and their birth siblings. And oh, that's really? Really encouraged and almost expected, actually, that you will try to maintain the connection and the relationship with your children's birth family, which is incredibly oh, that's really important. Interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, we've come a long way in terms of a lot of people don't understand the process and about adoption now in Australia because they're it's so you know they think about the stolen generation and all those sorts of things, and there's a real negativity attached to. 
um, adoption in Australia, but we have really evolved a lot. So good. I mean, I just think it's so important. And I think for almost every woman out there who's a mother or not a mother, the thought that there are children in the world that don't have parents that love them when there are women and men and all sorts that would do anything to have a child to love, it just has never really made sense. So, um, and, and they do say adoption's gone right down, which has always surprised me as well. Um, but anyway, so, so you had your children or got your children um, and you'd stopped for your year. So what happened after that? So I took the year off and then I think after that year my hub was like, okay, well, nothing's happening. You're going to have to go back to work, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, I muddled around it back in mainstream for a couple of years and um, was really supported once again by the management there because they knew I was going through the adoption process. And uh, literally, you know, if you've ever known anyone who's adopted in Victoria or Australia, you know, they say it's fast. I think I got the phone call on a Wednesday. I quit my job, cleared out my office, packed up my classroom on the Friday and she arrived on the Monday. So, oh my goodness, it right. was so less than a week. full on, absolutely full on. And so, you know, I took... I took, I think it was about 18 months I took off with Belle. Was she a newborn? Was she a very small baby? she was 16 weeks old, yeah. Oh, gosh. I know, amazing, amazing. So Right, so you took some time off. Yeah, and I think it was then, being at home, you know, you hear a lot about women in business saying that, Mm -hmm. you know, not that being at home with a baby is not busy, but for me, I think I was actually able to tap into that idea that I'd always had that was manifesting right back from that to that incident with that little boy that I mentioned earlier yeah to how could I how could could I actually make this into a business could I do this would somebody pay me for this you know and I remember sitting around the table with a couple of girlfriends who I really respected and they were doing really well in their careers and they were like Chrissy you can totally do this you know we had the white paper out and we're writing all the ideas down (laughs) pros and cons oh totally and my hubby was my biggest champion right from the very beginning um we know we never knew anyone who'd started their own business all of our friends and everybody were all, you know, had professional careers and, and had never been gone down the entrepreneurial road. And I just did it. I just took a risk and I did it and it paid off. And obviously I did it well because very successful in my business to this day. But, um, yeah, I just think it was one of those things that I just, because the passion was there, Jules, yeah. and, the, and I had the knowledge it was just about getting that out, I suppose. And one of the biggest barriers I had with families was them saying, yeah, I really could use your help. Right. You know, pushing through that barrier of seeing parenting education or parenting support as a flaw or a failure. Oh, I see. Yeah, mm. right. Mm. Hadn't even thought of that. So how long have you had the business for now? Look, I lose track, to be honest, but I, <laughs> I think Roughly. it's about six and a half years, somewhere Amazing. around there. Um, So talk to me a little bit about um, some of the pivotal moments because I'm I'm guessing, and it sounds like this is all meant to be, so it may all be smooth sailing and that you set it all up and it all went perfectly, but for most business owners there are things that stuff up that really make you go, oh, my God, can I keep going? Or, you know, something that pushes you in a slightly different direction. Sort of pivotal moments, often challenges. I do say successes and failures, but... I don't know that we learn a lot from our successes. So I just wondered, are there any that sort of stand out to you? Has anything like that happened in the last six and a half years? I think for me, because of the work that I do is such a sensitive nature and it requires people to 
look within themselves as parents in particular. Yeah. I learnt, I had a couple of, I suppose, um, moments where people said that they didn't feel aligned with me or that they didn't want to continue working with me, you know, and over that six and a half years, there's only been three times, but yeah. I remember Look each, at you. each you of those. you, remember them. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And I remember so each of those times it? being so upset and so wounded and almost like, oh my God, I need, I can't do this. You know, I should give up now. And I remember my husband sitting me down with the first one. We're sitting out the back and we had a fire going. We're having a wine. And he's like, but Chrissy, you've been in your business three years. This is the first, really, first person that has said. (laughs) I'm glad your husband was there to point out the logic of all of it. Because as women, we go, oh, my God, I know that 78 people told me I was great. But one said they weren't sure about me. And you go into this spiral. And I think as a small business owner, you rely so much on word of mouth. Right? On that, you know, external, that That one yeah. person who didn't like you or didn't like your work or didn't feel aligned with you or what, whatever it was. You worry about that, you know. But obviously, over time, you've, I've come to realise that I am not for everybody and that there are so many people in the universe who can also offer sort of similar things to me. And if I'm not the person that you connect with, then that's cool. That's totally cool, you know. What a gr- That is such a good learning. And I think, you know, for any of the women out that are out there that are listening to this, that and I, and I did an interview with someone yesterday the same, and it was all about you've got to kind of get over yourself yeah. to an extent and just go, you know, you, you're, you're on a path, you're doing it. Not everyone is going to like you. And in some ways that's a sign of how well you're doing. Because yes. you are tapping into someone who loves you, then obviously there are going to be people that don't like what it is that you do and not to let it affect you and put you off from your path, I guess. Another really interesting thing that happened a couple of times is, you know, the more successful you become, you know, I, I often get people, oh, can I chat to you about this X, Y and Z or I'm thinking about doing this in business. Can you share everything you know with me about starting a business, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I get that all the time. Totally. <laughs> Let me buy you a coffee and just tell me everything you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget, I did in the beginning, I was very open and very honest, and I still am, you know, you know, I work with women in business as well. I'm really passionate about that. But I'll never forget, you know, I think so. when you're first starting out, you sort of follow all these people who are similar to you. And um, what I found was people copying me. Right. And... In the beginning, I was annoyed and frustrated. But, you know, then once again, you think, well, just stay in your own lane. Unfollow them. Don't look at what they're doing. Just just stay true to who you are and, and be, be passionate about what you believe in. And people will be drawn to you regardless That's of what right. they're doing, right? And I also think it's flattering. I have gone from, because, you know, when I set up Handle Your Own PR, nobody was t- doing anything with small business owners and PR. And I remember everyone telling me I was stupid and, and whatever, But, um, yeah, I I can't even remember what I was going to say now other than, you know, it it does happen that, you know, you've just got to keep plugging away and you know that you're onto, onto something and just keep going with it. Yeah, and coming back to what I was saying before is that I'm not for everybody. So Oh yes, sorry, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's totally yeah. fine with me. If I'm not for you, that's totally fine, you know? There Absolutely. is somebody else out there who will meet the need that you have if that's not me. And and I do think that also comes a bit with maturity. 
Yes. You know that as you get older, you go kind of like, if you don't like me, just go go find someone else that you do like. like yeah. it, whereas when you're younger and you're so impressionable and you're starting out, it's it affects you in a much, much stronger way. I was going to say that when you're starting out, you're so desperate for work, right? You just say yes, yes to everything and to try to be everything to everybody. And you, you know, as you said, as you get more successful and busier and more confident in those decisions... And just older. Just, yeah. I'm, I'm 54 now and I reckon even 10 years ago I had a very different mindset in terms of, you know, how much I cared whether people liked me or not, which now is much, much lower. It's funny. So talk to me about um, juggling your work and your business, which is obviously a big passion for you, and your family. And, oh, no, in fact, forget that question. I'm going to go back to another one. Tell me about your group because I know that you have this – Facebook group, Melbourne, the, what is it, Women in Business? Yes, the Inner West And how did Women's all of that Club. come about? So yeah. you've kind of become a bit of a mentor to a whole lot of other women yes, now too. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, that part, that business, the Inner West Biz Hub, is my my love business. I love, like that, that lights me up as a woman in business. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that I can then still service all my clients in my other business, right? Yep. So it, it was quite ironic how that grew because there was a really big um, online Facebook group that used to allow business advertising on a Wednesday. And I truly look back now and think if it wasn't for that group, I'm not sure how I would have got so many clients in the first year of really? my business. Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, and then okay. all of a sudden, after a couple of years, the admin just made a decision to shut down business advertising. Right. And there was then all of a sudden there was this uproar of all these women in business who were saying, you've just taken away 6,000 people who I've got to promote and advertise to each week. Yeah. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go and create my own group. And <laughs> I ended up teaming up with two other amazing women and we created our own group. And what yeah. actually happened, which was so, we didn't even predict this, all of the local business women en masse came over to the one group. So it wasn't just about people who wanted to buy from small business. It was actually all we had all of the amazing women in the West who were running their own businesses in one who group. Who wanted the support and yes. the networking yes. and the connections. Yes. And, and just knowing that there are other people out there because – when you are running your own business, you do sometimes feel like everybody else has got a job and you're the only one doing it. So, so it's ironically, super I created that group to to fill a need in me as a business owner in terms of that I could have a place to still keep promoting my services, Jules. But it grew right. into something so much more special, in that it grew into an online community of incredible women all cheering each other on, buying from each other, using each other's services. And that real, you know, you're in the group and you'd understand this, that real commitment to, well, if I need a copywriter or I need PR, I'm going to pay somebody in our own community because I know that that supports their family. Yep. And I just just amazing. Yeah. And it's so, it's just so important, I think, for women to understand, particularly when they're starting their own businesses, that... In fact, I was having this conversation with somebody who spent a long time in corporate because I was saying, in my experience, I find women incredibly supportive. So I hear these stories of women being really bitchy and horrible to other women. And I'm like, where are they? Because I just never see them. Mm. And we were talking about it the other yesterday. I was talking about with someone who had a long corporate career and then went into small business. And I think she hit the nail on the head. And she said, because in small business, you don't get that. And she said, if you haven't experienced it, 
you don't understand, but she said the day that I went into business for myself and started networking with other women running their own businesses, I've never looked back. It's always mm, supportive. It's and I just think that that's something that out there in the world outside of small business, they don't realise how incredibly supportive and how we all want to cheer everyone on. And I always thought a great example was in, in a lot of women's groups, and I talk about it with my partner and your your husband probably would agree as well, that... Um, there's not very many men's groups that you could go into or business groups that are general that you could go into and go, I'm really stuck. I don't know what to do with this or I've had a shit day or I've had a customer who's done something or or the beautiful thing, I've got all this stock and I don't know how to get rid of it. Mm. You do that in a woman's group and you'll just have all these women offering to help you. People will go and buy your product. Give us your website address. We'll go and buy one. I mean, it's really unusual and it's really special isn't it phenomenal and i must say my hubby actually has two businesses as well now okay i think i gave him the entrepreneurial bug and um, (laughs) we are that family that is living the entrepreneurial life you know juggling two small children four businesses but we wouldn't have it any other way but um i remember when he first started out and he just couldn't get any work and i said to him babe no one even knows what you do you need to go and network you need to go and meet people you need to get out and tell people and he was just like nah that's not me do you know what I mean? It was so interesting and mind-blowing to see the different mindset between men and women. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Same thing with my partner and I thoroughly encouraged him to go out on his own after he'd kind of, you know, when you hit 40 or late 40s, 50 and you try and get a job, it's really bloody hard anyway. Mm. No one wants to employ you. And I said, just go out on your own because even if you work for someone else, they're going to end it at some stage and you're going to be back in the same position. And went on his own. But same thing, I'm going, do networking, go out. Like, it changed my life going Mm -hmm. out and meeting other women. And they're still lifelong friends 15 years later. But, yeah, he, he, like your hubby, was kind of like, no, I don't think I really need that. I'm going to do it in a different way. So it it is peculiar to us. So now I'm going to go back to the how do you juggle work and life thing. Do you have set hours? So do you give yourself weekends and nights off or how do you Yeah, totally. I do now, especially. Obviously, in the beginning, I was hustling my butt off and I I actually almost (laughs) ran myself into the ground in the first couple of years because everybody wanted to see me at night time because I was doing home visits. And so they'd put the kids to bed and then I'd go out. And I remember some weeks I was doing four nights a week and I was absolutely a, a wreck, right? And yeah. I was driving all over Melbourne and then I got jobs in Bendigo and Ballarat and Swan Hill and like all over the place I was driving. It's just crazy. You know, I look back at now and think, oh God. But you know, it's part of the process to get where you are It today, is and you would I have suppose. learned a lot yeah. from it. And so then I made the decision to, um, I found my office in Spotswood in office yeah. hours and I had set days and people had to come and see me. And so I sort of really then pitched myself as, well, I look, I, you know, I said to my hubby, look, it's um, psychologists or occupational therapists and all these sorts of people that people They all make, work nine to five. Well, they all make time. Families make time to go and see them. They can make yep. time to come and see me. And there definitely was a lull in terms of, you know, at, at some points I had a three-month waiting period because I was doing all the work, you know. Amazing. Um, I made yeah. it so easy for people. And then as soon as I sort of put it back onto them – things sort of started to drop a little bit in terms of I, I booked this and found this amazing office and now I had to pay rent and then of course um, business went down a little bit but um, one of the things that I actually did in that year which I think some women in business do really well was harness the power of collaboration so teaming up with other businesses and I ran a couple of group you know workshops and events and all sorts of stuff with other women which was really incredible um, 
And just, I think the more, like you said, the more you get into your business, the more successful you become more confident at instilling those boundaries. You know, I never answer emails at night anymore. You know, you're so tempted to, it comes in on your phone or, you know, I get messages on Insta, I get messages all over the place, Instagram, Facebook, you know, private messenger. Oh, I know. God, we we could talk about that for half an hour because now my thing is, okay, where did they contact me? You know, like you get these messages and you agree to talk to someone and then I'm like, was that LinkedIn, Facebook, was it WhatsApp? Was it a text? Was it an email? Like the list is so long. People have got no idea, have they? And then so now I've just got to cut and paste. I will not respond to this message unless you contact me via email at chrissy at chaosticarmsconsultancy.com. And if they don't get back to me, they don't get back to me. But the truth is, you know, it's not my job to chase you up in a DM on Instagram. If you really want to work with me, you'll follow this up. That's right. Um, and most people do, obviously, but this is the part about small business that people don't understand. And I think the world we live in, people go, oh, like I'll never forget the time I got an inquiry on Christmas Day. <laughs> uh, I remember saying to my hubby, look at this. This email, is, I mean, why was I even checking it? But it, ca- it must have come through on my business page or something. And I remember thinking to him, this is what happens with families in particular, with the mums that I work with. They think of it, they send it. They don't always but they don't always expect you to respond. No. Right? So this is the yeah. breakthrough that we have to get through as business owners is just because and somebody has sent it doesn't mean you have to reply straight no, away. Absolutely not. Mm. But I'll tell you something really interesting. I don't know if you know Katrina McCarter. Do you know her? She know. does a has a business called Marketing for Mums. She's done stacks of research. She talks all around the world about it. And I remember thinking I need to do a I was doing a campaign at some stage. And she said the number one most active day on Facebook is Christmas Day and it's all mums. And so if you read, so I started, I'll never forget it. I decided I'd do a sale and I'd start on Christmas night Wow! and I sold more in that sale than I have ever sold in the three years since. Mm. It's really funny, but it's, 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 the theory is we all get, we all make all our lunches or do the family lunches and go, Oh, my God, I need to relax. And we all get on and we have a little play on Facebook. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so now I've got a, just silly questions, so, which, you, you know, um, I was going to say you may or may not answer, but I guess you'll know that anyway. So one is I always like to ask, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you're up for sharing? Totally. I actually, I actually just shared this on Instagram. I was reading the question out as well. Um, when I lived in the UK, I had yeah. long blonde dreadlocks Ooh. for three years and they were the cleanest dreadlocks you've ever seen. <laughs> A lot of people think that dread- <laughs> you get dreadlocks because your hair is filthy and dirty and while that may be the most uh, natural oh, way no, for a lot so of people cool. to form... They're I so actually cool. had them done properly in a, at the Camden market by an um, African lady, and oh my goodness, oh. it was torture. It was so painful. But talk about cred. <laughs> you had an African woman. You were at Camden market. Doesn't get much cooler than that. I know. And blonde dreads. I love it. That's fantastic. And you I- have to post. Oh yeah, well I did. I did now. go and have a look on my Instagram because okay. I posted a picture. I had to find one, but um, I never forget when I came home and I was applying for jobs, and my mum was like, "Chrissy." No one is going to give you a job with those dreadlocks. You know that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I just come from special ed where anything goes, you know, and here I was fronting up to these um, mainstream schools schools. with my dreads, (laughs) my connies on, you know, and of course I got a job (laughs) because I wooed them with my personality, but... 
yeah, it was quite funny. Oh, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, what a great quirky fact. Okay, and now the last two are just plain silly because I'm obsessed with my own phone, so mm. I just have to ask everyone else if they are as well. So do you use your phone for business? And if so, what would be the two most useful apps? And I have to say you've got to put aside banking and social. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Well, I did say Instagram because I am obsessed with Instagram I, I'm as assuming well. Instagram or a social is going to be big on most women's lists. But what about any other ones? Do you use well, anything Well, I was wondering whether you'd actually heard about this one. It's called Headliner. And it actually, it, well, it. it actually turns, it takes grabs from your podcast yeah. and turns it into a format that you can use on your socials. No, so, I'm writing it down now. I know. So, and I thought, oh, I wonder if she's heard of this one. No, I haven't. It's amazing. I, I, heard an, I heard a great one yesterday called Snow. Have you heard of Snow? No. I said, what does it do? And she said, it basically brightens up your face and puts on mascara and lipstick in the video for you so that you don't have to put it on in real life. <laughs> I think, that's, that called, so I think that's called a filter, isn't it, Jules? <laughs> yeah, I think it's called a filter, but I just thought that was so funny. Um, so and have you got another one? That's great. I really like that headliner. Uh, well, I guess the other one I often use is InShot. I don't know if you know that one. It's no. another app that's really good for Instagram, adding music to your to make your videos um through instagram stories so you when you do music on instagram you have to cut and paste the music in 10 minute 10 second 15 seconds it's a bit sort of fiddly oh really whereas if you create your stories and then save them all you can then upload them to InShot and add the music and the music just plays across all of the different slides it's a lot smoother and easier to use All I can do is just smile a lot. I just don't know Instagram at all. And um, and I know I did look because I probably looked once a week and saw a post from you yesterday. And I and I thought afterwards, did I share that? I, I don't know. I don't know whether I did a message back to myself or whether I sent it to you. But um, I know so many women are on there. I really do need to get my shit together. But um, <laughs> tis what it is. And what about um, fun? Do you play on your phone at all? No, I don't. Do you have games? No. God, I think I'm the only woman in Melbourne. I reckon I've asked 40 women so far if they do, and maybe two have said yes. I so, think because uh, maybe I'm on it so I, much for socials, Jules, I just, you know, it's it's a work tool for me because um, I do so much of my social media on there yeah, and videos course. and all that sort of stuff. I just, yeah, I don't don't have the headspace to be playing games on there as well. Right. So, yeah, mm. no, well, that's very wise. And believe me, you can lose a lot of time playing Candy Crush and... Um, all the other words with friends and the other things that I do. So <clears throat> much better that you're not. So, Chrissy, if people want to get hold of you, I don't even know whether you want to tell them. It sounds like you're very busy. But <laughs> if you did want people to get hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do that? People can find me on my website, obviously, com, or one word. Right. Um, as I said, you'll always see me hanging out on Instagram. I'm always connecting with my community there, sharing great tips. Um, and, yeah, I am busy for one-to-one sessions. I run lots of webinars and workshops when we're allowed to, when we get out of this crazy lockdown yep. phase. But um, I've also created a lot of online resources that people can tap into as well to be able to work with me without actually having to see me. Do you know what I mean? And they're all yeah, available fantastic. on my website as well. So, And then the Facebook group, sorry, just remind me, it's Inner West, Inner Women West in Women's Hub. Inner West Women's Hub. So if you're in the Inner West of Melbourne, you're yes. allowed to come into our club. Yeah. <laughs> 
And if you're not, then sorry, you're missing out. Go and start your own one. But in, in saying that, I have got an Instagram page as well for the events, in a West Biz Hub, which anyone can come to. You don't oh, have great. to just be in the Facebook. And I'm actually sure that we wouldn't kick people out if they weren't in the inner West, but you'll just find that people are talking about local businesses and yeah, local absolutely. events and things. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for this fabulous interview. You're a very inspiring woman. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Um, And I'm absolutely thrilled that you were up for sharing your story. So thanks for inviting me on. (laughs) My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au.